Anybody who's, we're going to talk about thin places again. We're going to talk about birth. And I'm going to speak rather quickly because I have four and a half hours of material. And, <laughs> and uh, not, that, not that much time, you know, three hours maybe. The, uh, thin places about birth. Anybody who's been there for the birth of a child, especially one dear to them, they know it's a thin place. I can remember when our first child, our daughter, was born in Scotland in Govan, on the south side of the River Clyde in Glasgow. And uh, all the little Scottish ladies and the nurses there saying, oh, Patrick, you have to be in there. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. And, and that was a lie. It was a lie. Um, it, was, it, was, it was horrid. It was absolutely a nightmare. Um, there, were, there was screaming and cursing, and, and, and Cammy did some of that too. But, but I was... Uh, and then they hand you this little wrinkled purple thing, and they say, oh, it looks like you. And I'm going, really? I'm looking for, where do you blow it up? It's obviously, it needs to be inflated. You know, and, uh, but we still, we, we, we love our babies. You know, it's amazing. A moment ago, uh, there, was, there were four people in the room. And now suddenly there are five people in the room. And that's, that is remarkable. Adoptions have those moments as well. When the gavel comes down or the arrival of a certified letter or whatever it takes that says, you know, this certain flight number has come in, you now have this child. And it's a thin place. It's a wonderful place. Back when Bill Cosby was known for other things, uh, he was known as a comedian, a social commentator, and America's dad, he was called. He wrote a book about parenthood, which had an odd section in it, as far as I was concerned. He admitted being puzzled when people congratulate each other for making a baby. He said, raccoons do that every day. What's so special about this? And I'm thinking, well, if you can't tell the difference, there's an issue. We, we really need to have a, a talk. Babies are amazing. And I think Cosby was trying to be funny. And to be fair, he, he was often very, very funny. But there's another bell I'd like to reference. And that's one of my favorite authors, Bill Bryson. Just an amazing guy. Now, he writes usually about language or about taking walks. A very odd man. He'll just walk around England, the, the, the edges. Or he'll then walk around Australia. Uh, he cheated a bit, took a couple flights. But uh, the whole point is he writes, and it's amazing what he writes. But he wrote, wrote a book recently called A Short History of Nearly Everything. And you might be thinking, oh, what? That, you can't. Yeah, he did. It's, it's, it's not short. Uh, I don't know what he was thinking. But it's an amazing little book. And in, in, in the introduction to that book, he makes a very valid point. And he really drums it in. It's amazing you're here. If you understood the odds you had to beat to be here. Now, I, don't, I think Bill Bryson seems to be a materialist. I've never heard him mention God in a, in a sense of faith. But whenever I look at all of this, I'm going, wow. Now, I'm going to have to do some science here, but I promised my wife it wouldn't be quantum physics. So, never broken a promise in front of my wife and all you before, but here we go. No, I'm, I'm, we're, we're going to work on this the best we can. You are, everything is made up of atoms. That's why you can't trust them. They make up everything, right? That's just an easy way to remember it. Everything's made up of atoms, and we're, we're going to leave out the subatomic particles of which there are many. Let's just start with atoms, all right? There are, they're, they're, they're everywhere. But all the atoms that ever were or ever will be were at the moment of creation. Whether God did that big bang or whether he did it another way, that's up for discussion another day. At one time, all the trillions and quadrillions and all of those 
boom, they're there. First law of thermodynamics says you cannot create or destroy matter or energy. It just transmutes. It changes. But it's all here. Now think about this. Because of all the trillions of atoms that have come together to assemble you, made up something else before you, and will make up something else when you're gone. You are a collection that didn't exist made out of stuff that already did. That's pretty cool. If somebody calls you dumb as a brick, well, you might have been. <laughs> or your atoms might be aspiring to that one day. If they call you other things, maybe. For reasons that, it, that I don't, it, it's a process. I'm not going to try to go through it all, but the transmigration of atoms and cells is fascinating. And if you could see it, you wouldn't want to because it would just freak you out. I was with a, a man once trying to talk to him. We were doing a race relations things, and he, and he, was, he was very racist, and uh, it was difficult. We were in a room with some African-Americans and Latinos, and we came out, and he, he was still bragging on he, you know, his white forefathers. And I said, you're not as white as you used to be. He looked at me and I said, he said, what do you mean? I said, you were in a room with African-Americans, Latinos, and that means some of their cells are in you now. Oh, he didn't like that. I said, I don't care if you liked it. In fact, a lot of your cells might have used to been in a black person. Oh, he didn't care for this either. I said, I don't care if you care for it or not. It's amazing you're here, but part of you's leaving and some of you's arriving at all times. That's the way the universe works. You see, not only are these things together, they're cooperating. These atoms, for no reason that we can find scientifically, gathered together to make you and are now cooperating in billions of tasks in your body every second. Every second. They are at work doing stuff for you when atoms by themselves are not even alive. How... Did this happen? Please remember, every time your situation changes, they adjust. They adjust and take care of that situation, or they deal with it in a different way, but they are mindless particles. They're not even alive. No atom's alive. It's only when they're formed into particular communities to do a particular task that we can call them alive. And not only are they alive, they're rooting for you. They're trying real hard to keep you alive to absurd lengths. Or tornado is coming. People say, get in the closet. So they can find the bodies, you know, <laughs> right? Look in the closets. You know, I, I'm, it's kind of like the earthquakes. They'll say, get in the bathtub. I'm going, no, I'm not, I don't want found in bathtub. I, I, I don't want that uh, at all. Or, or you're standing, a building has fallen down on you. What do you do? You blink and you put your hand up. This is not effective but it's also not optional. You're going to do it because your atoms in your body have one job, keep you alive until they're done. They've got about 650,000 hours to keep you alive, and then they're going to shut down and move to another project. And we don't know yet why people age and why they die. We don't really have, there seems to be a clock in the atoms, but we can't find it. We wonder if they only form it when they come together, but if that's so, they form different clocks because a bird doesn't live as long as you unless it's a 
Amazon parrot. Uh, and and there are, you know, a turtle can live a lot longer than you. Evidently, when they assemble, they change the clock. This, this gets stranger and stranger. If you're wondering where Jesus shows up, he'll be here in a minute. Hang on. Think about this. The same atoms that make up the universe, for some reason, only gather to make life here. We're not the center of the universe. Earth's kind of in the boondocks of the universe. It's in a bad neighborhood, frankly. And life is here. Now, you might be saying, and you would be correct, we don't know if there's life on other planets. That is exactly right. There could be life on billions of other planets. It's not coming here. You're not going there. Space is big. It's, it's really big. How big? I hear you cry. Just big. That's all I'm going for right now. Uh, uh, yes, quantum physics says we might be able, but I'm not allowed to talk about that. So, right now, no. All we know is that you are made up of stuff that's not that valuable. Really. You're mainly made up of carbon, oxygen, nitrogen, calcium, a little hydrogen, a very light touch of sulfur, uh, a, a, a smidge of a few other elements, and that's it. If we broke you down into elements and tried to sell you by the roadside, it would be of no use. No, they're, they're too cheap. Speaking of which, coming to the wedding yesterday, we popped over the hill coming up 31 uh, into, into Franklin, and somebody by the side was selling something right there. And I looked over, and he had this big display of selling bonsai trees. And I'm going, really? That's an impulse buy? I, well, I guess he's patient. He's been growing bonsais, but I'm not. Anyway, um, there's nothing special about you or these elements until they come together to make you, and you are special. When, when life does arise on our planet, you need to know something. Our planet is much better at killing life than at nurturing it. It is estimated that 99% of all species that have ever lived are now extinct. I've heard people go, oh, well, you're going to be extinct as well as an individual. That's the way things work. We, yes, take care of the planet, try to save the animals. I'm really big for that. I, like, I, I, I love the concept of saving the rhinoceros somewhere else. I, I don't want it here, uh, but elsewhere would be nice. But everything floats away, and the idea that you're even here, you're here. Now, here, we've got to get even stronger here. This means, do you understand what this means? This means every one of your ancestors survived. That's unusual. Most of the time, you go back to the dawn of time. Humans die of starvation, disease, war, stupidity, accident, a drowning, falling, should I go on? People die all the time, but every single one of your ancestors survived long enough to make another set of atoms that would make another set until you showed up. That's amazing. And for the longest time, we didn't get this. Scientists used to think women were incubators, and that's it. Only men carried the seed, and they would place it within the woman. I'm, I, there are no slides. I'm not doing slides. Uh, I, I, I learned my lesson with the Song of Solomon series. The, the, um, if you're a visitor, I didn't do that. I, <laughs> I'm Scottish. We, we don't even talk about that amongst ourselves. So... <laughs> Oh, there's so much I want to say. Anyway, um, <laughs> that women were incubators. And it was not until the 1800s in a massive coalition, a massive convention, rather, of scientists that argued it out that the spermatist and the ovist, and I, I wish I were not, I wish I was making up those names. 
But the scientific community was, was split between the spermatist and the ovist. Look it up on your own. Finally agreed that women had a seed and participated somewhat in the birth process. Oh, my. Every one of you are a product of an egg that sat there waiting pleasantly, minding its own business. While men, in typical male fashion, made it a competition and sent out many seeds for a race. Only the winner gets to win, I guess, is the way to put it. Women are, have never felt that need to top everybody else. And, and there are times you can look at somebody and go, that was the winner. Okay. Anyway, but... but <laughs> And if you've never thought that, now you will. <laughs> and you're welcome. The, um, this little cluster of cells now becomes a kernel of life, which eventually becomes you. God is very interested in your existence. In the book of Job, our oldest story in Scripture, he speaks of counting the days till the animals give birth. He counts the days. He's excited about this. Uh, and I asked the gentries to talk about birth because they, they get to see this a lot. And I'm thinking, um, you know, wow, I never thought of that. But now I'm going to be laying awake at night going, one calf, four udders. <laughs> That's going to bother me, frankly. Redundancy is built into this. Jesus confirms that God is very interested in our life. Look at these passages from Matthew and Luke. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. I want to stop, if we could back it up briefly there. And I didn't warn them on this. I want to warn you about a translation here. I love the NIV. I use it every day, literally. But sometimes they try to make things plainer and they mess it up. No manuscript says outside the father's care. None. They all say... No sparrow will fall to earth without the Father. God won't even let a bird die alone. God is wrapped around his creation. Now, please, the next slide. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. God's got this all set up so that things get to eat. And that's, that's pretty cool. Jesus told us that birth is more than just adding another mouth in the room, another person to sit at the table. Look at John 9, verse 4. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Birth is a starting gun. It is, boom, there's a certain amount of time. Go. You don't know how much time you have. Go. Jesus wants us to be active. So he says, go. That's why he says, go out and subdue the earth. He doesn't say, shop till you drop. He doesn't, he's not asking you to consume. He's asking you to create. Robert Burns, the national poet of Scotland, was once asked by a small person why God made them so small. His reply, ask why God made the gem so small and why so huge the granite because God meant mankind should set the higher value on it. In other words, we value what we only have a bit of. 
That's why when somebody's married, we don't hand our intended a bit of gravel. You'd better not. <laughs> Handing them gravel makes you break out in small red spots where they throw it back at you. <laughs> no, we give them a diamond. You know, I remember I sold almost everything I owned to get what passes for a, a little bit of a diamond and put it on Cammie's finger. That was 39 years ago. And I've told her several times, we really need to upgrade that. And she just kind of shakes her head. No, no, this is, this is, she knows what that cost to do this. She, and that's, that's what we do. We have, we limit things, therefore they're valuable, therefore you're valuable because you're limited. That's one reason, one more reason why life is so precious. It's a gift. You know, our best efforts can't talk trillions of atoms into gathering to do anything. In fact, if we try to split an atom, what do we get? A bomb. What if we do not fission, but fusion? Let's put them together. A bomb. Maybe we should stop doing that. Maybe we should let God be in charge of where the atoms are. Atoms, it's amazing. They're nothing until God enters in and makes the unorganized organized. He puts himself into creation. Look at Genesis 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God is not only involved at the end of life with the sparrows, he's involved in the first of life. He breathes life. We don't understand. Are, are you aware today? We don't have one universally accepted definition of death because we're not sure exactly when we've left the building. We have a lot of signs, and we just put those together, and, and yes, but we, we know God's involved with birth because there's that first breath. There's, there's no question that a fertilized egg is alive, especially after implantation. I think we could all agree with this. But the other part is, when, when does a spirit enter? Well, Rabbis tell us that the soul and spirit arrive when the baby moves in the womb, quickens, is what they say. Others say it's when the baby takes their first breath. The fact is, we're not definitively told, and so all life should be treated as precious. All life. We were made from things God had already created. We were reassembled, not by fiat or by declaration of God. We were handmade by him. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. The people like the gentries are more closely following that command than the rest of us that just go by Kroger and grab a hamburger. Uh, and, and by the way, as you're up here talking, my, one of my thoughts was we have two young ladies here from the northeast of Scotland, and I'm thinking, oh, we should have given them an interpreter, because uh, a Tennessee accent, maybe not. I hope you got it. We'll do subtitles. Uh, that, we'll do subtitles. They do that with swamp people. We can do it. We'll find a way. We were handmade. God said, let's make them like us in our image. That's what's so cool. Whenever a husband and a wife, they make a baby, one of the first things we start doing is, who do they look like? Who do they look like? And we, everybody has their own opinion generally, but we're looking for signs of us and them. God makes us, and he's looking for signs of him and us. 
Where's, where do they look like us? See, nothing else on earth carries the breath of God. Nothing. The Ruach, the spirit of the living God, we become a living soul when he breathes in us. He says we're of far more value than the birds. That doesn't mean that you don't need to care about birds. It just means know that God has done something special in the human being. He didn't do with them. Our time on earth is limited. The starting gun went off at birth. Another signal will be given one day, and our time will be over. That's the way this works. So, of course, we celebrate the birth of every child. And I've had people say, why do we celebrate birthdays? The kid didn't do anything to get born. You know, we should... Don't make friends with those people. <laughs> really, really. We need... I'm surprised all their ancestors survived, frankly, if that's the attitude that comes through them. Instead, we celebrate that they made it another year. That's interesting because the world's a dangerous place. And yet, you survived. Wow. My wife and I used to live over a shop in Dundonald, Scotland. I'd go down. It was a spa shop. We'd go down. That's like a convenience store. It's a smaller shop, really. And every morning, the kids going to school would spend their lunch money on the worst candy possible. It was, you remember Pixie Sticks in America? That was diabetes in a tube. <laughs> well, it's kind of like that. And I told Cammie, I said, it is amazing they live. They're not eating anything nutritious. In fact, they're eating poison. They're paying to get poison. And yet, they're going to be bigger and stronger than us one day. It's amazing. So we celebrate the birth of every child. We celebrate the ones that are born champions. And we celebrate those that are born with special needs that will need to be carried all of their life. We celebrate it. We don't celebrate human life because it's, in, it's, it's interesting or useful. We don't celebrate it because it's pretty or because it does things for us. We celebrate the lives of those that take our resources to maintain their lives. Why? Because it's a rare thing, life. Life is hard to find in the universe. When we find it, we should pay attention. Life is amazing because it's limited. It's a handmade addition by God. It bears within it the mark of God. And because alone among all creation, the breath of God breathed into us means that we live forever. When our cells and atoms quit cooperating and move on to other tasks in the universe, humans don't cease existing. They live on without atoms. How cool is that? If you don't think that's all that cool, you haven't paid that much attention. And I need to come to your house and talk to you about quantum physics. That is a threat. <laughs> Remember those long odds you beat by being merely alive? Jesus says there are other long odds, odds to beat. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter in it, but small is the gate to narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. I was listening to a live concert on my Sirius XM radio. And I'm always fascinated because I'm getting, are you ready to rock? And everybody goes, ah, and I'm going, seriously? I paid $85 for the ticket, $30 for parking, $14 Coke, and you're asking if I'm ready to rock. I'm invested. <laughs> I have to rock. It's, it's not even an option. 
you can stink it up all you want to, I'm rocking. That's, uh... <laughs> but then, but he went further. Then he says, is anybody alive out there? How, what answer is he expecting? <laughs> Not really. You know, I said, well, what a bizarre thing. People, we are alive. Be ready for it. Live it. Create. Move. How do we make it to that little door? It's, it's easy for a herd to do something. Rock or say we're alive. But it narrows when the people are, understand, we're made by God. We have a bit of time here. Not all that much. Let's go to work. Let's make things different. Let's change things. Let's bring more light into the world. John 3, 1 through 14. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water, that we've done that, born of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. I'm going to move on because I just looked at the time and I don't get over time, so I'm going to quit here in a minute. <laughs> Which, keep that in mind. If you think you're going to sing that chorus 15 more times, it's all on you, buddy. Uh, <laughs> bring your group back up. And let's go back to Matthew 7. 7 through 15. Can we, do we have, we don't have that? Okay, I'll go for it here. Um, Matthew 7, we, and we read part of it a while ago, but it's important. There we go. Is that where, what did you have? Put up what you have instead. Yep, you got it. Look at you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks. Oh, no, you were in John 3, right? Do you have John 3? Put that up instead. The, like a well-oiled well rock, this is. <laughs> yes. And it's all my fault, by the way. There she goes. And, and, and by the way, it is my fault. Laurie Lee made a mistake once. She friended me. There, <laughs> there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who is a rule. And what is he? We were talking about that. Let's move on do the last bit of that, and we'll... What was your last slide? There we go. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear it sound. You cannot tell where it comes from, where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You don't know where you came from. You don't know where you're going. But your spirit will go to him. How can this be, Nicodemus asked? You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus. You don't understand these things. Very truly, I tell you. How many times is Jesus going to say very truly in this passage? We should pay attention. We speak of what we know and we testify as what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him 
may have eternal life so that everyone who believes moves on when the atoms move on. Amen, church?